0: Thank you for joining us. For your encouragement, we bring to you this biblical sermon from Dr. Charlie Dates. Preached at the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago, we hope that it leaves you refreshed and inspired. If you're ever in Chicago on a Sunday, we'd love to have you in worship with us. Join now, this message already in progress. Last week, we began a series called Do the Right Thing. You can leave this slide up, by the way. We don't need to change it. Uh, Exodus chapter 2. Today, we go to Exodus chapter 3, and I want to preach... You know, we used to say something like a familiar passage of scripture. But you young people today, uh, I don't know how familiar this is. Say, turn with me to the book of John and you in the Old Testament. So I want to I want to say to you, Exodus is in the first testament, it's the second book of the Bible. And this is probably a watermark passage, not just in the Bible, but in human history. Things turn on this passage. Exodus chapter 3 beginning at verse 1 says now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro his father-in-law must have been messed up the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Oreb the mountain of God the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush and he looked and behold the bush was burning with fire yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, Also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, all the other ites. (laughs) Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, here it is. I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Let's go down to verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I want you to feel the juxtaposition between Moses' question in verse 11 and God's reply in verse 14. Moses says to God, who am I? In verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Friends, life really ain't about so much who you are. In fact, you don't really come to discover who you are until you come to discover who God is. And who is this God? Well, I want to borrow James Cone's uh, title uh, to one of his epic books. I want to talk about, he's the God of the oppressed. You may be seated. I want to talk from the thought, the God of the oppressed. Will you breathe a word of prayer with me, please, church? God, you mean more to us than life itself. You are our heavenly father. We come before you this morning with thanksgiving in our hearts, asking you for grace and mercy in our time of need. Give me, I pray, clarity of mind, concision of speech and conviction of heart. Help me to tell the truth this morning, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, for your glory and for our good. I do beg of you today, physical strength and spiritual energy, to help your people to hear your voice, not that of a man, but this voice that came out of this bush at Moses. Stir the affections of your people, I do pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christians join the cause of the oppressed in the fight for justice, not because of some philosophical principle on the good nature of God or the feelings of sympathy for oppressed people. The authentic identity of Christians with the poor is found in the claim that Jesus and in an encounter with Jesus lays upon our own lifestyle, a connection with the poor and a responsibility to liberate them. Christians do not fight merely for humanity in general, but they fight for themselves out of their love For the oppressed, these are the words of James Cone, that now blessed memory of a theologian who wrote, while he was angry, it feels like when you read it, in one sitting, Black Theology and Black Power. He's the academic voice who coined the phrase Black Theology. Now, while I'm on it, you better know Black Theology is a real thing. There are people who say that our theology needs no adjectives. Well, I say that it does need application. And for everybody here who thinks that theology is colorblind, you might have been co-opted by a particular color of theology that does not round out the bigger picture of God. We, the chocolate delegation these yet to be United States, have contributed to the theological story our own rich reflection on God's great work in the earth through us. What Cone is trying to do is to say to a generation of people, and now I stand saying to you, black people know God, and we better start speaking up about the God who has been with us through our oppression, brought us through it, and is yet liberating us today. This is the the tenor, the tone, the pain even, with which this theologian writes. And his words are helpful to us. Because they focus our attention on the liberative power of God. You see, some people will use God to keep you bound, to help you to shut up when you should speak up. They will use religion to make you tame, to somehow present uh, you as a more docile person. But there is a, a facet, a window, an angle on the character of God that says that once you've been liberated, you are nobody's step and fetch it, you are nobody's toy. But well, God has given you a mind to, a mind to honor him and a mind to help humanity. But how do we come to know that God? And how do we come to experience that liberative power of God? It's not that I'm an angry black preacher this morning. Y'all know me better than that. Or well, maybe I am sometimes, just a little bit. All right. But, but, but it's not that. It, it is that the scriptures speak of a God who is concerned about people who live on the margins. So much so that God will intervene in time and space. He will step out of his eternal nature and squeeze himself into time to speak language that human beings understand so that we can be free and live in the fullness of who he made us to be. That's the angle at which I want to come. at This text this morning, it is that God sometimes shows up Unexpected, unannounced, and unrequested to change us and then change the world through us. That sounds better than y'all talking back at me, so I'm going to say it one more time for myself. God sometimes shows up unexpected and unannounced and unrequested to change us and therefore change the world through us. That's Moses' story when we meet him at the curtain raising of Exodus chapter 3. But y'all remember by now that some major stuff happened in Exodus chapter 2. When we meet Moses in Exodus chapter 3, we have to appreciate the stage that has been set for him in Exodus chapter 2. He was an infant, wasn't he? Whose basket was guided by the hand of God until it landed at the very desk, as it were, of Pharaoh's daughter. He's raised up as a hebrew in the palace and really he looks like an egyptian to the shepherds there at the end of exodus chapter 2 so there's some kind of transformation that has happened i don't know if it's the way he wore his clothes or if he had a fade and they said that travis kelsey invented the fade knowing that black men have been wearing fades all along i i I don't know if he wore the cologne of the egyptians but but there is something about his nature and his character that identified him as an egyptian but he never lost sight Of who he was you remember last week when Moses does the wrong thing for the right reason when he kills that Egyptian thinking that he is a liberator well it turns out Moses burns out as a deliverer in 24 hours and he's on the run that's how life will do you sometimes life will put you on the run and Moses is on the run to a particular place he flees to what the Bible calls the wilderness. The Hebrew Masoretic text says that Moses goes deep into the wasteland, this arid, dry place where there is very little semblance of life. All you don't appreciate it. This is Moses who grew up with the fineries of Egypt, eating all of the lobster and crab and shrimp. He's Hebrew. Maybe he didn't do it, but that's what I think in my mind. Lamb chops with mint jelly smooth creamy whipped potatoes he's enjoying all of the culture and art of Egypt he's matriculating at the highest universities he's pampered manicured and pedicured he ain't soft but he is well taken care of and he goes from that life in the palace to this life in the wilderness because that's how God gives birth to heroes Listen to me, friends. You may be born with particular potential, but that potential will never be developed apart from a wilderness. You you may actually be naturally gifted, good at what you do, but you will never be great for God until God is able to break you down spiritually and psychologically and develop you in that way. I don't know, Kiersey, Reverend Ray, if that's why our college pastor, Dr. B.J. Tatum, used to call it the Seminary of Solitude. He said that Moses spent 40 years on the backside of a mountain because God was preparing him. God was extracting from him his egocentricity. God was pulling out of him his self-reliance and his pride and building into him a kind of dependence upon God. But friends, I don't want to linger so long in Egypt that I forget Chicago. Because some of you listening to me here today, that's where you are. You're in a desert of devastation on your own. You ain't got to clap, you ain't got to say amen, but I know you in here. You're going, this is not how I pictured life to be. I thought by now I'd be married with a few kids. I thought by now I'd be making money in the best way. I thought by now that I'd be living the life in the full in every category. But as you think about where you are right now. Life seems more promising in the rearview mirror than it does through the corridors of the future. Friends, I want to tell you, that's a lie. Your best days are not behind you because you feel like you're in the wilderness. Your future stands brighter, better, bigger, stronger than you've ever known before. But you say to me, well, what about the psychological torture that I feel? I know what that's like, and I'm sure Moses does too. He's hounded. No, he's tortured, not only by the dangers of the desert, but by his inward regret, feeling like he put himself in that situation. If I had not killed that Egyptian, I would not be here, Moses thinks. And the memory becomes more painful than the event itself. And I raise that because some of us sometimes feel like that too, don't we? Like the place where we are, we're being punished for what we've done. If I just had not done that, if I had not answered that call, if I had not linked up with this person, then maybe I would not be in this wilderness and this place of devastation. But let me suggest to you today that that wilderness, that 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 Sinai Peninsula, that that dark place where you are serves a purpose in your development under the hand of God. In other words, God has but one way to get you ready for what God has ready for you. And don't you despise Sinai? Seek it. Don't you despair the desert? Desire it. Don't you harbor hate against Horeb? Hold Horeb this morning. That wherever you are and whoever you are, nothing is wrong with you because you feel like you're in a desert. No, something may be right with you. Because God likes to hide people in obscurity. To bury the best in them until he nurtures them and matures them and allows that to grow out of them. Your best is in you. You just ain't seen it yet. I know what I'm talking about. Because my grandma, without no degrees, didn't even graduate from high school, knew how to grow stuff in the garden. I got all that she didn't have. I can't grow nothing. If you put me outside, but I remember what she used to, what she used to say to us. You know, Chicago has these harsh winters, especially back then. Global warming's is real. No snow in February, all that kind of stuff. I ain't complaining, but I am saying back in the day, it used to be real hard around here in February. So I remember sometimes going out with grandma in the winter and, uh, and I would say, oh, look at this brown beat up garden you got. And I, for whatever reason, I like playing with her. And she liked playing with me. Is that what you think this is? I said, yeah. You're a failure of a green thumb. She said, oh, chocolate, you know that's not true. She said, Un- underneath that brown foliage are living bulbs. I won't forget it. She says, "In the snow rest." upon the ground, and it kind of freezes it, but, but I want you to know that when that snow melts and all of the nutrients in that soil connects with that water come spring, something's going to emerge out of the ground. She said, you're judging my garden by the winter, but you ain't seen it till spring comes. Can I tell y'all something? Don't you judge me by looking at me through the winter moments of my life. You don't know what's inside of me. Spring is coming. And what I've come to discover, as Lance Watson has said before, is that opportunity stops preparation. That when you are being prepared, the opportunity is going to come before you where God will show off everything that he put in you. God initiates preparation. You know how we need that today, friends. Help me, God. Oh, how we need that today. Black America has never been so fragile, in my opinion. We do not know the God of our fathers and mothers, of Abraham and Sarah, of Isaac and Rebecca, of Jacob and of Rachel and Leah. We we have moved so far, even from the 60s, morally, that I find myself praying, that God will raise up a generation of black believers who will stand in the gap for our kids and envision a brighter, better future for our unborn. But instead of falling in love with the word of God, we've fallen in love with wine and weed. Now that we can buy it in the open, we spend more time anesthetizing ourselves freely from the pain we we've fallen in love with liquor and loud living we we have moved away from our morals and have simply come to amass money and so now although we have more money and houses and cars than our grandparents ever imagined we've made less progress than they have because we've fallen in love with the wrong thing Can I tell y'all something? I want to live for something more than a big house. I want to live for something more than a car with some letters on it. I want to live for something more than being able to be seen on TV. If I can help somebody along this road, if I can cheer somebody with a word or a song, then my living will not be in vain. Stop living your life for you and spend it the liberation of somebody else why because God is concerned about these issues you look at the end of verse 23 verse 24 verse 25 it came about in the course of many days that the king of Egypt died and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage And they cried out. That's what your Bible says in verse 23. And they cried out. And their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel and God took notice of them. Now Moses. Oh, church. I wish that I could get you shouting merely off the reading of scripture. But I want to read it one more time and then do my best to explain it to you. God heard their cry. He heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, now Moses. It is the oppression of the people that makes God move closer to calling Moses. Moses' call is not for Moses itself but Moses' call is for the deliverance of a people who've been crying out to God who feel like they have no help and no hope and no voice and so what God does is God moves closer to Moses so that he can set his people free what if God lets you go to school cause he's been hearing the cries of people who need the benefit of your education what if God let you get a hold of some money and some talent and to be great like Matt and to run a football not so that you could be famous but so that you could help little kids in Inglewood and Roseland and Chatham what if God has done all of this because he's hearing the cries of other people and you find meaning you've mass, but because of what you can give away. God comes to Moses. Moses is pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. You can tell right there from that line, Moses is miserable. I, I know. Ain't nobody going to tell you, but I'm going to tell you the straight up truth. There's no currency in this ancient world apart from owning sheep. And they ain't even his sheep feel the depression Moses was a rising star y'all. Yeah. he left there at 40 prince of Egypt and here he is pastoring somebody else's flock it's as if Moses has resigned to suburbia no offense it's like he got an RV he mowing his lawn on Saturday enjoying a good life depressed Because how do you live with the kind of fire that Moses had and just let it go dormant? I'm sure that Moses felt in some kind of way here that life had done him in. But on this ordinary, average day, Moses is about to go out to do his ordinary, average thing. Something unusual and extraordinary is about to happen. You got to slow down and see Moses. Do you see him getting out of bed that morning? Walking over to his bathroom, looking in the mirror. Now Moses, 40 years later, is 80 years old. His beard is silvered out a little bit. His skin is still bright and strong, but maybe a few wrinkles here or there. He died as strong at 120 as he was when he was 40, so his brawn is still intact. But you can see this ain't the life he signed up for. You see Moses, do y'all see him going down to the kitchen, grab his lunch, his caramel macchiato from off of the counter, say hello to his wife and Zipporah and his grandchildren are probably running around and goes out to let the sheep out. He's waving at his neighbors, just the average, ordinary lets the sheep out and he's going to walk the average ordinary path. He could do this with his eyes closed. He's done it so many times before, year after year. And there he is out in the wilderness by himself on the backside of a mountain walking these sheep that don't even belong to him. When out of nowhere, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold the bush was burning. And not burning at the same time. Y'all ain't ready for this, but I'm going to preach it anyway. What Moses does next changes human history as we know it. The Bible says that Moses turned aside. And when Moses turned aside, all of human history turned aside with him. But do you feel for a moment the spiritual curiosity of Moses at play? Go with me here. I'm concerned about some of you who have no interest, no desire to know the deep things of God. You walk by God every day, and because you're on your phone, you don't slow down long enough to see that the bush is burning. You're, you, you ever had that moment where you've been reading a line of scripture? You racing through a devotional because you really want to get to Netflix, and there's a line that shows up in the devotional. You go, mm, that's a good thought, but you close it real fast and turn the TV on and start smiling. And you missed the burning bush. Or, or you're going down the street and somebody says something to you and it grabs your attention. But you're busy because you're a busy person. And you got to get on to where you're going. You ain't got time to be engaging with no stranger. But God may actually be walking up on you, saying something to you. And instead of paying attention, the bush is burning and you go the other way. I've had these moments where I've been at night walking around somewhere and I feel the nearness of God close up on me and what I can tell you is these moments don't happen every day but rather than turning away we run. Friends we need a generation of spiritually curious people who can say that's interesting. A bush is burning, but it's not burning. Oh, y'all. You've been, some of y'all been in church too long. You've been reading the Bible too much. You're not even fascinated. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. So here is how this works. Typically, when wood burns, wood burns. And the fire consumes the wood. And ask me why. Because the fire needs the wood to burn. But when Moses walks by this wood bush that is burning, but he cannot smell smoke, he cannot see smoke coming from, he can see flames but he doesn't smell fire. He goes, hmm, what's going on in there? And I'll tell you what's going on in there. It's God initiating contact with the liberator. And how do I know it's God? Because God don't need wood to burn. I just said something, but y'all ain't heard what I just said. God is so much a God that he made fire and can make it burn without burning up what it's burning. God is the self-existing God. He don't need wood. Oh, let me say it better. He don't need you. He can burn how he wants to burn, when he wants to burn, and Moses is looking and saying, I got to see who this is. Is there anybody in here today that wants a taste of what Moses got? You want to burn, but you don't want to be burned out as you burn? You, you want to experience the God who made the elements and shows up in time and in space. I say this. I say this to somebody here today who needs to make a decision for Jesus. Listen to me. You're not a member of a church. Maybe you used to go, you don't anymore. You hadn't place your faith in Jesus. Listen to what I'm saying to you here. The bush is burning. The bush is burning. And and Moses sees the picture of God in the fullness of who God is and he turns aside yes. friends might I also tell you that Moses not only saw a picture of God but Moses saw a picture of himself yes. Let me talk to those of you in here with gray hair I'm serious now you feel like life is over because you hit retirement age and now the only thing you to do is to take your grandkids to Disney once a year and to watch the news and to go to the casino (laughs) every now and then Moses is 80 and he probably feels like a bush that cannot burn anymore he tried to be a deliverer. He he did his best. He stood up in the gap. It didn't work out. And so he says, I'm done with that. But God is saying to Moses, I can take tired old bushes and make them burn again. I wish somebody in here would talk back to me. I I wish somebody who's past their 20s and 30s, maybe even past their 40s, would hear what, what I'm saying. Your life is not over because you've got gray hair. God is able to make your passion come alive. He's able to make you burn again. He's able to cause you to bring warmth and glow to the world around you. We know, don't we, from Scripture that fire is a essential view into the character of god it destroys it purifies jeremiah said it was like fire shut up in my bones yes. that the children of israel end up being led by this amazing fire that's there that john the baptist said of jesus that he would baptize with the holy spirit and with fire that's what some of y'all be trying to say these days you enjoy something that's dope and good you go In Chicago, y'all don't say that's fire. You that's fire. That's fire. You know who's the first person to say that? Moses. He tastes of the essential nature of God and goes, That's fire. That's that right there is something like I ain't never had before. Listen to me, friends. God likes to show up in unexpected, unannounced, unrequested ways. He scheduled this visit with Moses, but he didn't check with Moses before he put himself on Moses's calendar And somebody listening to me here today God has shown up on you too and god yet likes to do that in the world today It was december 1 1955 when rosa parks got on that bus and took her seat in the section She was told she could sit in and she decided she wasn't gonna give it up to this white man Because she was tired and that day rather than getting up and moving out of the way she saw a bush burning And it sparked a movement that desegregated public transportation from a rural city in Alabama. Because when the bush starts to burn, if you turn aside, you don't know that God has scheduled a visit to change the world. I don't know exactly when Brian Stevenson met Walter McMillan in the fall of 1988. But that meeting with Walter McMillan on death row changed the landscape of American justice as the Equal Justice Initiative started behind that meeting. I don't know why he went to Harvard and decided to be a pro bono lawyer in Montgomery, Alabama, but my guess is he could see that the bush was burning. And he went down and saw that God had scheduled a visit to America and was going to help set some people free. I don't remember... The exact date I met James T. Meeks. That day changed my life. I didn't know that day the bush was burning, but I'm here today to tell you now, I know it now. And I wonder for you, can you go back in your mind and remember what day did God show up in your life and change things around and totally utter the history of your family because God schedules visits unannounced, unexpected and unrequested well what does God what does God say he says something that uh we don't really talk about much Moses is coming and when God sees Moses' curiosity God starts to talk back to Moses see sometimes God don't keep you because you won't keep him he, he won't always talk back to you until he sees you interested in talking to him. You begging him to talk to you, he's like, I'm trying to talk to you all the time. And Moses starts to come. Does he feel the heat underneath his sandals? I don't know. But all I can tell you is, God says, stand right there, Mo. I know you've walked this path many days before, but today is different. You got to take your shoes off when dealing with me. In other words, show some respect for who I am. Oh, God, can I tell you that the challenge that many of us have in getting to know God is that we want to treat God like the man upstairs? Like he's just a homie or a friend from down the street. We want to get on first name basis with God. But can I tell you, God will not be trifled with by you, me, or anybody else. He's too holy for you to come in here and act like you can just stumble into his presence. No, that's why you ask him. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Get the sin off of my life. Take the sin away from me. Because you can't have God and your sin at the same time. I wish there was somebody in here today who knows that you got to make a sacrifice if you want God. Show God some respect. Yeah. Let me lean in. This going to hurt your feelings, but I'm going to do it. That's why you should not always be sitting down when we sing in praise and worship. But when we call the name of the Lord, sometimes you need to fix your body and raise your hands. Not because you feel like it, but because he's way. He's worthy. He's holy. He's holy. He's slow down, Mo. Take your shoes off. I remember I was growing up in church. There were things we couldn't do in church. I, I remember we'd have communion. It's a true story. We used to have communion at night. Now you new Negroes only can come back to church after dark. Whole church used to be full at night. And then they'd had his table all dressed up at the front with white on it. And when communion time came, they would turn the lights off. They would bring out these candelabras, scared the you know what out of me. They'd light it up. And I always wanted to know as a kid, what's behind that white linen? They'd raise up that white linen and they'd be back there doing something. And I'd be like, is that Jesus? <laughs> back there, one night I'm in church, at night chewing gum I know you don't appreciate this but I'm gonna tell you I I love that grandma of mine she put a whole hand in my mouth whole fist, <laughs> pulled it out of my mouth and said we don't do that in here it wasn't that chewing gum is wrong It's that you got to show some respect when you come before the very presence of explosive would our churches be if God felt respected when we came into his house let me sit down let me sit down this is the crux of what I'm coming to say to you God initiates contact with Moses Moses initiates contact through curiosity with God now God decides to announce his liberation of his people this is in the context of justice he says, I'm the God of your father, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've heard the cry of my people, and it's time to deliver them. But the deliverance, the liberation of God is not separated from the holiness of God. Melina, in one more time, I did it last week. I'm going to say it again because some of y'all missed it. There will be no liberation of chocolate people in America apart from the respect of the holiness of God. We cannot align our cause to everybody else's cause that ain't godly. We we cannot start calling things just that are not righteous. And I know you got friends and I got friends too who want to say what they want to say about God and how this and that go, but the reality is I ain't marching with everybody. I'm not getting in line with every cause because if God going to bless it I don't want to be a part of it and his holiness creates the bounds for his liberation I'm preaching in this place and if I hurt your feelings just say ouch don't take it up with me take it with the Lord because the reality is when God says I've heard their cry and I've decided to do something about it it is in the context of God announcing his person Moses has got to feel like well where you been where you been these people been hurting you the God of my father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They've been in this for 430 years. That's how some of y'all feel. We've been in this unique American struggle for all of these years. And it looked like 45 about to actually, literally go back in. Now, I'm not telling y'all who to vote for. But I am telling y'all, can't no black man be a misogynist, a racist, a sexist, not pay no taxes, go bankrupt several times, incite an insurrection, and then turn around and get the nomination again. I don't want y'all to be asleep. And you wonder how in the world can this happen? Can I tell y'all how this happened? It's America. And before I get into Jeremiah Wright trouble, I'm going to slow down. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you that this is why we cannot forsake the God of our forefathers and mothers. Because they took hoses and dogs and lynchings and beatings and chattel slavery. But they still said, I'm going to trust in the Lord. Till I die. trust in the Lord no I've decided I'm going to trust in the Lord till I die cause he's the God who brings us through hi right, Moses I want you to go tell Pharaoh you know him you grew up in his house let my people go help me God yeah, okay. All right. So here's the thing, God. I know these people. They didn't like me 40 years ago. I tried that. Who who, who am I going to say sent me? And then I know Pharaoh. He'll respect you. When I walk into his office, by the way, there's still a warrant for my arrest in the statute of limitations. Who am I going to say? Send me. Why my problem? I don't talk good. Who am I? God says, hey, Mo, this ain't never been about you, bro. Yeah. Who you are is irrelevant apart from me, but who I am gives you the power to represent me. I I could get it out of my mouth. I really do. The way I feel it in my heart, church. He says, Who I am is I am who I am. Moses say, I am. That don't make sense. He said, No, it does. And I told y'all this, but I want to tell you one more time. Do you mind? Names are usually nouns. Person, place, thing, or idea. God introduces himself as a verb. But not just any verb. He introduces himself in the Hebrew text as the verb to be stuck in the present tense. It's like God said to him, I is. No, 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 you mean you were or you will be? No. I is. Because I don't live. In time and in space. I live outside of your confines and your restrictions. Where time and space limits you, I got all power in my hands. I I like the way the old Negro preacher used to say it. I am who I am. They they would say, whatever you need, fill it in. I am whatever you need. I I I am. I like that. But I like something else too. There's another person who shows up in the New Testament. Who picks up on this I am language. Maybe you hadn't paid attention to it. But he gives about seven of them in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the living walk. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the resurrection. And, that, and he gets in trouble for that because they know what he's talking about. Well, one day they took I am and they fastened him to a tree and they put nails in I am and a spear in I am's side and they laid I am down in a borrowed tomb, but can I tell you something, I am is better than anything you've ever known, because early Sunday morning, I am got up from the grave with all power in his hands, and this time he did not liberate us from chattel slavery. He did not liberate us from economic oppression, but this time he delivered us from the slavery of sin. No longer do you have to give in to your raging passions because he's the God Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for another uplifting and inspiring message by Dr. Charlie Dates, senior pastor of the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. For more information about our church, visit ProgressiveChicago.org. Progress is yours through the gospel of Jesus Christ.